It's the moment you've all been waiting for. Scott's book, the title, has now just come out. The title is Golf Decoded, Unraveling the Game's Greatest Secrets. If you guys want to get a head start on this book, go ahead and hop on over to his Instagram at shassigolf, two S's and two E's, and go ahead and pre-order the book on GoFundMe. It's $14.99, and it'll be the best $14.99 you guys have ever spent. It comes with a lot of free extras, uh, a lot of content throughout the book that you guys will be able to scan a QR in the book and go ahead and uh, check out the videos that are linked to those QR codes. So it's more than just a book, it's a golf cheat code. So hop on over, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Peace. There's no rules! Shoot a lower score! There's one rule! Welcome back. Well, Scott said hang on. Oh, here we go. Of course. That's so much better. I can't tell you how much, how, how much better that is. Uh, and for those of you who are just joining us on the audio, this probably sounds a lot better. Oh, <laughs> uh, the irony. The this irony of so it. so perfect. Make mistakes. So, hey, you know, there we go. The funny thing is, Scott, is like the amount of time that we've been doing this podcast, I've only made one other mistake. Yep. That's it. That is it. Out of the like 120, 30 episodes, episodes that we've been we've doing done. together. So... Uh, it's just fun. So ironic. So ironic. I'm but sure Michael's loving that too. That's got to be great. Well, and speaking of oh, that, we did, did it uh, record or did not record? Oh yeah, we're totally fine. We'll have to see how the audio comes out, but it's the definitely we have it. We have all the audio, which is great. Uh, wow, that's that's crazy and that's ironic. Well, for those of you who are just joining us, we are uh, we have the pleasure of being joined here on the podcast by Mr. Michael Starbird who is the co-author of The Five Elements of Effective Thinking, yep. which if you guys, uh, I, I'm keeping on saying this, if you guys don't know, that is the book that got Scott to write his first book, book. The Champion's Playbook. And how I got into asking better questions. I, I, one of your quotes in the book was, um, you know, it's not really extraordinary people, it's ordinary people that learn to think different. And through all of the sea of data that's already out there, nothing's been able to predict 72-hole scores through 36 holes and following patterns of behavior, and it's only on three data points. That's the really cool part is to be able to pull all that back, and we're sitting there looking at it going, how is this, like, this seems like magic. How is this working? And uh, I say, we got to bring this to the public. It's, it's really cool by asking different questions and then using some basic regression analyses, and it's been I'm so excited about it. And well, speaking of, great. foreshadow the second book. Yep. So you can pre-order it now. Um, the GoFundMe link is on my uh, Instagram account. Uh, so you can check that out there, S. Hassey Golf. And if um, you're hearing this, you've already heard the title of the new book. The title of the new book is called Golf Decoded, Unraveling the Game's Greatest Secrets. So, um, That's great. So we're excited. Uh, with that, let's get this Q&A oh, so, going. Uh, Scott, Go ahead. Scott, is this... Uh, is this the, the next money ball? Uh, it, we, we, we very much think it is. So it, it just might. So strokes gained has been the big thing on the tour. You've seen that. Um, the problem with strokes gained is that there's no consistency from tournament to tournament. So players are strokes gained in one thing, and they're weaker in others. The difference is with this, with these th all you need is these three data points. We know where a player is going to finish. So Jordan Spieth struggled earlier this year. I can give you a, a slew of examples, but my data said he should have been 
basically over par in bogeys uh, through three rounds. He'd only made two. So he was. if we maintain that average to the next round, he should be at seven through four rounds. Well, he made five bogeys in the final round to bring him to that average of seven. And my, my data after two rounds said he was going to be finished at 12 under par. Um, and he was at, he was at, he was at 11 after 36 holes. And my data said he's only going to get to 12 and he was at 15 after the third round and he walked right on back, uh, to the numbers and we've seen it work the other way around too. So it's been a lot of fun to watch and we're just like, this can't be happening. And every week we collect the data. I'm like, there's no chance he's playing too well. There's, there's no chance or that, that guy's not going to come from, he's at four under, the leaders are at 11 or 12. He's not going to get to 15 under. Sure enough, here he comes right up the leaderboard. So uh, really need to follow some interesting data points and be able to share it uh, with the world. So that's kind of excited. So perhaps it will be the next Moneyball. But. Well, let's get started. All right. So. Who's coming up first? Yes. Miracle. Miracle is from... I always get you and your wife mixed up. Slovenia or Croatia? Slovenia. Miracle's from Slovenia. So, uh, come on up, Miracle. Yeah, sure. Mirko, you can come sit down right next to me. Good evening. Uh, related, you know, when I was uh, listening Jake, uh, he basically described myself. You know, I'm not afraid of uh, failure. I think my f personal failures in the life make me, uh, made me a stronger person, you know, uh, because I learned from that. But uh, what really I never learned uh, is uh, how to manage to perform from beginning my best. Uh, I'm pretty, you know, like in tennis, uh, most likely I will lose uh, first set and then come back because I started to play under pressure and then I perform my best. But I'm mm -hmm. not able to mentally uh, make that, you know, to start strong. Uh, you know, that's what I would like to see, what you can say uh, in that aspect that I can learn or try to learn later in the life. Yeah, so, so one possibility, if, by the way, if, if you play better under pressure, that, that is, it's easier to spread that to playing better, not pressure, than the other way around. Most people, like me, I play worse if it, you know, the game gets tight and, you know, I, I play worse and it's something I work on. So I would recommend for you that what you do is try to think of, of sort of triggering thoughts when you're under pressure that lead to good performance and then repeat those to yourself at the very beginning. So try to put yourself under pressure, you know, back to Jack's point. I mean, it sounds like you if you're you're either you concentrate better possibly because you're under pressure maybe your distractions don't come in as much i think that's distractions you know what's gonna uh that pressure kind of force me to focus 
uh, not to, yeah. you know, like daydreaming or, you know, kind of, you kind of start yeah. and you think about, you know, what happened or what you will do that evening and, you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, so, so maybe the, maybe the point is that at the very beginning, you should be try to put yourself into this focused frame of mind by, by, and, and you could even develop uh, techniques on your own of for either, for example, uh, watching something very specific. I know this is one technique is instead of watching the ball, you watch the, the threads on the ball, you know, to try to force yourself to do something that's uh, focusing your attention more than you are accustomed to doing. And then that may put you in that frame of mind that you automatically get to when the, when the going gets tough. Awesome. So I, I would say, I'd say, uh, next time you, you get to the, the pressure point, see, uh, just have something in your mind and then rethink it the next time you start at the beginning. I will try, I promise it. that. Awesome, I promise awesome. that. Thank you so much for Toro. I want to hear success. <laughs> okay, have a good night and uh, here's Jake. All righty. Question number two. Hello, Professor. I'm Pam. Hello. So my Hi. first question is, you're from Austin, and Austin has awesome music, but Nashville has much better music. So when <laughs> are you going to come visit? Well, as a matter of fact, I come to visit Nashville uh, probably every year because we have friends uh, who live in Nashville who I've known since college days. And, in fact, we visited them in Chicago just uh, a month ago when they, they rented uh, some apartments in Chicago because their daughter goes to school in Chicago. And so they went up there and we visited them there. So we come to Nashville actually quite frequently. Okay, so, so ne next time so you have I to... I will absolutely, I'll be delighted to come to Nashville. And you'll have to come to Franklin Bridges next time. And I look, I look forward to reading your book, but when you talk about effective thinking, what when kids nowadays get... Uh, awards for when they even if they don't win how do, how do you think that's going to affect their thinking as they grow up you know I, I think that it, it's not that particular aspect may not be the the, um, the problem to me the, the problem is that students you know so I teach mathematics uh, and I, I try to teach people how to think, uh, not just mathematics, but, I, but math is, the, is one of the topics that I, th I teach overtly. Very often, students don't actually have any meaningful understanding of mathematics. They just go through the motions. And when they are unable to figure something out, they're dead in the water. They won't think for themselves. So one thing that I would encourage uh, any parent to do or any uh, I'd love for the teaching system to do is to have the students spend more time where you ask them a question that they can figure out if they actually turn their minds to it and take the time and then don't help them. Don't help them. That, that, that the problem, I think the problem is that not so much that they get rewarded even though they don't deserve it. That That's a, an issue too. But it's that that people think that they need to jump in and help a person the moment that there's any uh, challenge or difficulty. And I think people thrive when they realize they can perform 
at the moment where there is a challenge, where they, they can, in fact, think for themselves. And by asking them to think for themselves on a daily basis so that this becomes the norm, rather than just rescuing them at every moment when they're struggling, yeah. that is what can lead them to develop that, the resilience and the, the uh, ability to think for themselves. And so, so this other part of whether they're rewarded or not, I, you know, that may, it, it's probably not great, but I'm not sure how, what, what effect that has, yeah. but I'm quite sure about this other. Thank you. Well, we look forward to having you here at Franklin Bridges. I would love to be there. You can teach me golf here. I would love to try it. <laughs> um, so I'm going to add to that a little bit. Um, so I, I agree with that. It's funny. When I work with kids, they're like, why would I study this? There's nothing meaningful. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, why does, why does it matter if I know what the quadratic formula is? There's nothing meaningful to it, to them. And so if you can give context to it, I, I find the – this is one of the things Mr. Hoover – uh, would teach me. He's the gentleman who gave the book or recommended the book to me. Um, is he said the most effective teachers take the minuscule number of tools. So so many teachers are like, well, we just don't have all the resources. I was like, you got your brain. Like, get creative. Um, my my brother-in-law teaches uh, English, and he actually with his I think it's his seniors in his class in order to engage them. He actually starts the semester with Dr. Seuss books. Like, there, I guarantee you there's not another program in the country that's, that's doing that. And so he works outside the box and in the context of what his, what his dollars are, what his restrictions are, um, but is, is finding a way to make it meaningful to them uh, is huge. Um, and people just jump in way too early. I, I think that's the reward. They, they learn how to not use their brain. Um, the best part for me is when kids go to college my students go to college. We had this happen with Erica. Like, it's like, well, I want you to answer the question for me. It's like, go figure it out. Actually, when they're away from me is when they often do their best learning because they're forced to figure it out. Like, I've given you the tools. Now it's your turn. Like, come on. So, anyway, I just yeah. had to add that in. I, I thought that was a great point. Yeah, good. Good evening, Professor. Um, thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, my question is based on uh, critical thinking. And from the oh, yeah. What's your name? What's your name? What's my, your name? My name is Terry. Terry? Okay. Um, my question is based on critical thinking. And um, uh, as we know today, there's a lot of technology out there to help us do anything. Um, lots of examples, like in a car, GPS, and things like that have uh, taken away people's ability to think and read a map and be able to navigate. Uh, there's examples in golf too, a lot of apps out there can tell you what club to use, but they don't account for everything. And, and um, my question basically is, do you think all this technology out there is enhancing our ability to think critically or, or decreasing our ability to think critically from your experience and your research? Yeah, I, I would say the, the answer is that it is producing in, in kids, and by kids, I mean, I, you know, I, deal with college kids mostly, it is, um, they are developing habits of not thinking for themselves. I think that is a, a, an actual issue. And I try to work, I mean, in my own classes, I form, uh, my method of teaching math classes is often that I'll just pose questions 
and then I'll ask the students to explain them at the board to the rest of the class. So they're having to figure out the substance of the class on their own. And this is a different experience for them. And it helps them to realize that they can do it by formulating the questions so they are accessible to them, that they can do it and they have a different relationship to knowledge that they feel like can, they can produce ideas rather than just consume other people's ideas. So I, I think it's a serious question and I think it's an unsolved question. Now, I think technology is absolutely great. It's transforming the world. It's transforming the way we interact with it. Here's what we're doing right now. I mean, here we are, you know, miles away talking to each other about these ideas that it, it has tremendous advantages. But the way I think of it is this. Human beings have been around for, you know, tens of thousands of years. Technology has been around of the type that we're talking about has been around for like 20 years. It's going to take time for human beings to develop the relate the productive relationships with technology, with the new technology that we have. And we shouldn't expect instant best practices. That would be that would be, you know, why should we be able to figure out the best interactions between human beings and technology instantly? It's a new world. It's a new uh, organization. And so, so we have to negotiate it. And I think that, that there are just lots of unsolved problems about it. I, I, read, I read that Bill Gates didn't allow his kids to have a cell phone until they were like 16 or something. I mean, so, you know, people were thinking about this and realizing that it's the best strategy, but, but it, it does indicate that we're in this, um, we're at an awkward, I, I think of humanity as being in a sort of awkward adolescence phase where we're, we're dealing with new things and we don't yet know what's the optimal way to deal with them. There's so much strength and, and goodness that can come from technology as we, you know, just everyday life is transformed by it. You know, I, I, you know we get Amazon packages every day and it's just great, but, but it's gonna take us a while before we negotiate the humanity of it in, in an optimal way. Okay. I think it's a great question. Thanks for your input, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Professor, it's interesting because I, being the person in the room who's probably the most recent one in college, my favorite professors were the ones that taught me to have a relationship with information rather than have to force feed it to me down my throat and, and you know um, especially when you have classes that are so heavily reliant on definitions sometimes it can be tough to have a good relationship with those classes because you're just trying to figure out a way to digest the information rather than having a relationship with it is there anything you can say uh, uh, on that point yeah yeah no, no I think uh, that's it you know um, if, if I had my my way students from early times would be learning how to deal with information effectively. Right now, we're, we're in an, a very weird state where people, you know, sitting with ties and on TV and saying, some people are saying things that are complete garbage, that are completely factually untrue, and yet they sound the same as somebody with the tie sitting on TV that's saying things that are correct. How can you distinguish one from the other? 
I think this is something that we're, we're as I say, you know, humanity is at an awkward stage where we don't yet, we haven't come to grips with how to deal with that kind of issue in an effective way. But I, I, I'm, by the way, I'm a huge optimist about the future of humanity. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we, we will learn, we mean human beings, will learn how to do that. But we're, it's not going to be instant. It, it requires, um, you know, some thoughtful things and plenty of mistakes that we'll make without even trying. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. Here's our next question. All right, Mr. Professor. I am, I'm Daniel. And Hi, Daniel. Hi. And so I'm curious... What I was, it, it was interesting when you were talking about doing the basics or the, um, the exercises. So if, if two people, person, person A and person B, both played golf and they both started at level zero, they practiced the same time, but person A practiced the basics, the exercises, and person B fought, like person B went ahead and started playing the hard song. He started on the course immediately, stuff like that. How would their, how would their end result differ? I, I would say probably the one who started off on the course would actually do better if the person only did the fundamentals. I think the person who would do better than both of those people would be the person who worked on fundamentals and then went out and tried stuff and stuff that was way too hard from they, they didn't even, you know, they couldn't possibly really do it right. But then come back and do fundamentals more and, and more advanced fundamentals, so to speak. And then went out and tried stuff and applied what they've learned and then come back. So it's, it's a question of oscillating between being attentive to the fundamentals regularly. I mean, all the time. And then also, Going ahead and pushing yourself to try things that you, you're not really able to do right, because what you're learning is what doesn't work. You're learning to just try things, try different strokes, try different um, attempts at, you know, you're trying, to, you're trying to learn how to hit a, uh, 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 from the bunker, and you try, oh, well, what kind of club should I use? Try hitting it way behind the ball or right in front of it or right on the ball. You know, you try different things and see what happens rather than waiting until you're told how to do it. And then you can apply that when you are, are, then you become better at the fundamentals, such as watching the ball, keeping your head still, watching the, where the club is actually striking the, the ball or the ground, you know, and then, then you're applying that as you, as you go forward. So I think it, the best of the, uh, I, I choose option three. You gave me two options and I'm, giving, I'm choosing number three, <laughs> which is, to, to oscillate between advanced stuff and then back to fundamentals. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Bye. And enjoy. By the way, one of the main things, enjoy it. That's right. You know, talking about what is the basic question in golf, for all except for the professionals, the basic question is enjoying it and, and keeping that firmly in mind that the goal of it is to enjoy the, enjoy the game and enjoy the challenge and, and, celebrate successes of on your own level boy that and that's easy to lose track of sometimes people just get frustrated and it ends up being frustration is their actual reaction to it it's got to be joy and and keeping that in mind is a very important no i i think that's that's great it's funny it's um there's so i grew up without 
a golf instructor per se. I, I had some help here and there. Golf Digest was my golf instructor, and so was uh, Sam Sneed's videos and Jack Nicholas's videos and uh, input from all over the place. And so I learned without all of that fundamental learning, and I'm I'm an odd build. I don't look like it sitting here next next to Jack, but I'm six foot six with legs that are about the length of somebody who's seven feet tall with a torso that's five foot eight and a wingspan that's six <laughs> foot nine. So I, the, the gentleman I learned to teach from, uh, Hank back in Birmingham had taught for 50 years and he said, I've only taught one other person with your particular makeup at your height. And so my equipment is built entirely different than everybody else, not because I'm tall, but because how I'm tall. Um, and I didn't learn the fundamentals until co- until post-college. Um, I had equipment that wasn't built correctly for me and it's part of the reason why I developed the swing that I did. Um, and so there are things that I learned without having that fundamental teaching that can't be learned any other way. And in a game where you like, you're playing on a uniform court when you play tennis, table tennis, badminton, racquetball, like you're playing a uniform court. My, our court is not uniform. And there's wind yeah. and there's there's weather and like there's literally an infinite number of situations. Well, there's a finite infinite number of situations you'll face. But like you, you have uh, <clears throat> you have so many scenarios. And so where I'm trying to push the game is here's core th- three core principles about how to play the game strategically. But there's there's a wonderful world of like art is three primary colors, the strategic part of the game is those three primary components but there's there are layers to that um that you can only learn by getting on the golf course and playing and we have players that have beautiful golf swings um that really can't play as effectively as they should based on their fundamentals it's like you had mentioned before you can't just work your fundamentals that's what so many players obsess about with all this tech that we have to like try and perfect the swing it's like at some point you have to be able to hit certain shots and you can't learn that staying on a driving range. So I loved your answer to that question. I was, I was clapping in the background. That was me. And I, I told everybody I paid you to say that. Um, but no, but that, but I think that's fantastic. I think you got to put them side by side and I think that's wonderful. Any, we'll take one more question. Somebody else, anybody else take one more. Um, and, and by the way, by the way, let me comment on your, on your statement. I do think that it's it's fascinating that golf has the the property that it doesn't have a uniform court, and that it has so you're constantly in these unusual situations, situations that you in fact have not seen before. I mean, very little differences. Like if the ball is on an upsweep, a downsweep, whether the grass is growing one way or the other, whether it's a rock in front or not. I mean, there's so many variables that if you were you, you cannot practice every single situation. In fact, you, you have to have a more fundamental global concept of what the, the um, and that, that's what I would view as the fundamentals, where you understand the, the big picture enough that you can adjust it as you must do every single time you go out on the, on the course. So I, I think it's, that's one of the reasons I like to watch it, as I say, even though I don't play it. I really enjoy watching it because you see these weird situations where people can do amazing things or not, you know. And for those of you listening on the audio, that is one of the reasons why I think Scott is one of the best teachers out there is because he doesn't teach 
the stereotypical way of how you teach a golf swing. He teaches you, like I was saying, Professor, how to have a relationship with your swing in a way that you'll be able to get your own way around the course rather than having to lean on a few key things that might not even help you in the first place. And so I guess I want to relate this to the educational setting, Professor. I sense from you that you are an intellect at heart and that you, you love being a learner for, a long, for as long as you'll live. Do you see, in the, in the educational world, do you see some of these professors that are, that are tenured for you know, 20, 30, 40 maybe years having kind of this uh, rookie mindset being like, I still have everything to learn? Because it seems like when I was in college, the, some of the teachers that I did not have great relationships with were the ones who were just teaching the same lessons year after year after year after year where it seems like you are uh, teaching people how to learn and it seems like maybe each semester possibly might be different. Right. Yeah. One of the ways I think of it is some people teach the math. I teach the people. My goal is to take a person and change them to make them better thinkers. So if, to me, every person is the new golf, uh, the lie of the ball in a new place. You know, <laughs> so it's, a, it's all different because each person is different. So that, that's the fun for me. Awesome. I, I think that's going to wrap up our Q&A. So we're going to go ahead and uh, wrap it up here for those of you listening on audio as well as make sure, make sure, make sure that you either go onto Audible or uh, purchase a copy of uh, Michael's book, Professor Starbert's book, The Five Elements of uh, Effective Thinking. Uh, like he said in the last podcast, the, the Audible form is only just over three hours long, so it's a super short book. Uh, if you guys want to learn how to think more effectively, honestly, make sure you go check out that book. Uh, just go ahead and Google the five elements of effective thinking, or if you're an Audible listener, just go ahead and type it in on there. I don't know if this was intentional about the way y'all wrote the book, but I'm a, I'm a big hardcover person. I think you get more out of hardcover because you see it and you read it like, and you can highlight it so there's, there's more tangible. And some people do that with um, a Kindle. I think you have Kindle as well. But is the way it's structured is you can almost stop anywhere. Like a lot of books, sometimes you feel like I, I have to finish the chapter before I get the concept. Like the, the layers and the way it's built is almost like a chicken soup type book that's kind of a coffee table style book um you can read it straight through i, I did i went through it rapidly because i was so in, enthralled with it but it's definitely something you can just pick up in you know five minutes a night before you go to bed can can really pick up something so i don't know if that was intentional but that's how it's come across no, to me absolutely was absolutely was we wanted people to be able to take every little section and read an anecdote or see a story that is meaningful Thank you. That's incredible. Michael, thank you. We need to stay in touch because if you come to Nashville, we'd love to have you out here um, to Franklin Bridge. We, we would love to host you. Um, we have you know, a, go, I, ahead. go ahead. I think, well, wait, now, wait, now, wait a minute. You better be careful because I'll take you up on that. Well, I would I, love to, I'm glad that I you're... I want a round of golf for this because I haven't... I played golf like you know three times in my life and I would love to have a, you know some a guided tour of your course where I get to try things. Yeah, well, absolutely. That sounds like a blast to me. Well, professor, uh, I think it's so interesting cuz one of Scott's like biggest uh, one of Scott's biggest things is that he says that he can learn the most from from children sometimes. 
uh, from people who are just starting the game. And so I, I'm so uh, I'm so interested to see if you came down here to Franklin, which is only 20 minutes south of Nashville, and Scott and I took you out and kind of explained our th- or Scott's theory on uh, on how we work our way around the course mathematically. If you would have any input to that, and maybe that'll even uh, lower our, our p value a little bit. It's funny. It's funny because our 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 squared values are, are really poor, which is actually pretty normal for when you're dealing with human behavior, because um, they're we're humans and we make mistakes and we slip up in weird spots that are unpredicted. But the p value is absolutely insane. It's like point zero 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 one something, pretty crazy. So I'm I'm excited. Like that was intriguing, and then we just took the data and put it back into like, hey, let's go back and. Let's put those marks that they have for 72 holes, put it in the formula and output, and it's right in a lot of situations, but it's wrong too. So it's not right for every single player, which is the part that I'm really intrigued by is it makes it so much easier to go, okay, where do we lose the shots? You know, in a game that's just, you've got, especially at the highest level with tour players, you've got 200 to 500 data points. Like, how do I know which, like... Which one's which and which string to pull where? I clearly opened a can of worms. Yeah, I know you did. Well, well, yeah. Good job, and, Jack. And by the way, I, I think a lot of the problem with the, the data that I hear, you know, when I hear golf players say, like, um, you know, uh, oh, strokes game putting or strokes game this, it seems to me that they're not using all the variables. I mean, strokes game putting, well, it depends how far away you were from the hole to begin with, you know, whether your sample, you know, where, where your sample lies, how and how, what was the actual lie of the ball in the fair? It's in the fairway, but maybe it's on a divot. Maybe it's on a, you know. And, and so these subtleties that are, that are, you know, they're sort of averaged out, uh, presumably, over this, yep. but you don't have that many data points. So it's, yeah, I think there's lots of room for clarity that, that might be very interesting. Yeah, and, and the strokes gain, my only issue with the strokes gain stats is it's based on the average player that week. So it's like, well, if you're winning the golf tournament, of course you're going to be ahead in several categories. Like when you're, it goes with any sport. Like if you're doing better in tennis or basketball today, you're performing a little above your average. Like of course that's when you're going to win golf tournaments. Um, but it doesn't really tell you about the player's relationship with the course. It's it's a measure of a relationship with players with other players. Well, the course is the really only defensive component that you have in the game. There, sure, there are other players playing, but. By and large, over 72 holes, what what Michael does on the fourth hole in the third round has no bearing on what I do on the fourth hole in the second. Like, it just, there's no, it, it's just a different game. So, um, without diving, so you're going to send us into game theory and everything. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. so, great, right? um, well, but well, we'd love to have you in dialogue and. I know you'll ask some challenging questions and probably poke some holes in it, which is great, but uh, it's been fun to pull those essentials apart and then be able to go back. Even if you don't score the number that you're projected to shoot, you're able to then quickly identify where those strokes were lost and then figure out, was that a mental error? Was it a read of the lie incorrectly, et cetera? So um, anyway, thanks, Jack, for extending this another (laughs) five minutes. And sorry if we bored you, but thanks, Michael. We appreciate it. Thank you. Your audience is clapping for you if you couldn't hear that, Michael, but I, I'm sure you could. Oh, thank, you. thank you. That's well, it's such a pleasure. Very nice to meet you, and I uh, look forward to meeting you in person when I come to visit Nashville. 
We'll we'll have to have another podcast. We'll That's have to have another podcast with you actually here. And we'll have to you have to bring some books so we can do a big book signing and everything. We'll have some fun with it. The, the community out here is second to none, so we look forward to having you, Professor. That sounds great. Very nice to meet you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Michael. Bye now. Thank you all for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. Make sure that you go onto Scott's Instagram. That's S Hassie Golf, two S's and two E's, and go ahead and pre order the book. Um, if this episode wasn't a calling for you to pre-order the book, I don't know what is. So uh, make sure you go onto his Instagram and click the GoFundMe link and go ahead and check the book out. I promise it'll be the best money you've ever spent. Like I said in the intro, it is just a it is a golf cheat code. It is legitimately a golf cheat code. So if you want to learn more about your game, take some more strokes off your game, uh, make sure and go and check it out. So uh, from all of us here at Franklin Bridge on the back porch, we'll see you on the next one. Peace. Thanks, y'all, for listening to this episode of the Champions Playbook. As always, you can find us anywhere that you guys are. So uh, make sure to check out Scott on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of the above. His Instagram is at Golf. That's two S's and two E's. So make sure to go and check out everything that he's got going on over on his Instagram page. Uh, as well as make sure you follow Franklin Bridge. Uh, Franklin Bridge puts out some great things as well, and we want to make sure that we support them because they support us. So as always... Feel free to come by the back porch of the Persimmon Pub at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays to come and listen to us talk golf. So book a late afternoon round of golf, and then afterwards, come on inside, get some food, some drinks. Uh, we got some specials going on. We had some $5 flatbread pizzas. We had some amazing chicken tacos, as well as drink specials going on all night long. So make sure to support the Persimmon Pub as well when you come out. We would love to see you guys. We do one episode, and then a live Q&A, and then another episode. So from 7 to 9 on Wednesdays. We hope to see you soon and we'll see you on the next one. Peace.